0: If you are attending the 2019 AMSA convention and exposition, Inside the Boards is going to be there. It'll be me and Chase. We'd love to meet you, connect, and say hi. So we look forward to seeing you there.
1: Welcome to the Inside the Boards podcast, the podcast dedicated to helping you learn to think like a question writer so you can study smarter, not harder and succeed in medical school. Welcome to the Inside the Boards podcast. My name is Stuart Bryant. Today we are covering, uh, I guess, my final postmortem here with Patrick Beeman, Dr. Patrick Beeman. Oh.
0: That's right. I I appreciate if you call me that. I I make all my med students uh, call me Doctor Beeman. That's that's not actually true. <laughs> I don't actually do that. I tell them your colleagues and you can call me Patrick and also go home early if there's nothing <laughs> going on. <laughs> so um, I'm I'm a beloved attending at my
1: institution. Good. Be be the benevolent attending that you can. Oh, so Plus, today.
0: Plus, I always try to recruit them uh, to help with inside the boards, so I have to be extra nice <laughs> and teach a lot, so it keeps me uh, relevant.
1: Awesome. No. All
0: right. Sorry. Sorry. Let's get into this.
1: Yeah. So, today we're talking... Is this part four, I think, of our postmortem? It is, it is part four. We've the, talked about a lot of different things, and... We
0: actually recorded this already, but then... Uh, some computer issues led us to needing to record it again because the sound quality was so terrible. So we should mention that we have a contest going on now. Um, Essentially, just click the link in the show notes or go to insidetheboards.com. If you do various actions like leave a review of the podcast on iTunes or share us on social media, you can earn points and the top point scorers. Uh, by March 1st, we'll receive six months free to our audio QBank, whose beta iOS app hopefully will be out by the time this is released at the end of February. I know I've been saying that literally for months, uh, but we do actually have a developer who says he's about a week away from finishing. So fingers crossed on that. And if you're a previous subscriber, keep an eye on your email. Uh, We'll be sending you instructions on how to access the content in an actual QBank format. That's all I'll do for announcements today, but today it's what Stuart wishes he knew before his dedicated prep period. Before we do that, though, here is an example from our audio QBank.
2: A 59-year-old man presents with exertional chest pain for the past couple of months. He says that the pain is substernal and is relieved with rest. His physical examination is unrevealing. An electrocardiogram is performed and the results are normal, but an exercise tolerance test reveals ST segment depression in chest leads V1 through V4. He has prescribed nitroglycerin to be taken only during the first half of the day. Which of the following statements best describes the reason behind the timing of this medication? Is it A to prevent collapse? B, to avoid nitrate headache, C, to prevent methemoglobinemia, or D, to avoid nitrate tolerance. And the correct answer is D, to avoid nitrate tolerance. Patients on chronic nitrate therapy may develop nitrate tolerance. Tolerance is a pharmacologic phenomenon which occurs due to repeated use of a drug. The drug effect progressively lowers with the same dosage, and the dosage may be needed to increase to achieve the same effect. However, nitrate tolerance can be prevented by avoiding a continuous steady-state plasma concentration of nitrate. Morning-afternoon-night schedule may produce a continuous plasma steady-state of nitrate, thus leading to drug tolerance. Morning afternoon scheduling gives a nitrate free interval in the plasma throughout the evening, thus preventing drug tolerance and preserving nitrate efficacy.
0: All right. So there's there's an example from our all audio cue bank. Now, Stuart, let's get into this. So what do you wish you knew before?
1: All right. So there are quite a few things, but just to like back up, we've already talked about, you know, what I learned. We did an episode on what I did to study and kind of talked a little bit about what I would do differently. So to kind of wrap it up, we wanted to talk about what I kind of wish I had known before going into all of this. And I think that can be some really relatable and useful, um, emotional support kind of advice. Is that the right word to say? Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think so. And, and, some practical advice, too, knowing what you said before, because these would be things you'd want to pay attention to. Um, if, if you trust Stuart and he's you know, more or less trustworthy, uh, these could be things that you will avoid prior to enting, entering your dedicated prep time. So, all right, let's start with point one. All right. So. Questions. What do you have to say about multiple choice questions?
1: Ooh, So, that's all you're going to do for studying if you're like me. Um, You're not going to open first aid, whatever, but you're going to start hating doing these multiple choice questions. And the problem with them is like, even though it's really easy to get through and be like, I'm going to do 100 questions in a day, or if you're insane, maybe 200, um, you're going to be able to get through them. But then you had to sit down and review all those questions. And it's way harder to <laughs> review all of the questions. You know, if you do like a timed test of like 40 questions, it gives you an hour. Maybe you finish it like a couple minutes early. Maybe you take the whole hour um, to sit down and really review 40 questions and like read the explanations, figure out what you did right or wrong you know, maybe look up in another uh, another resource to kind of figure out uh, what does Wikipedia have to say about this or, um, you know, somewhere outside of UWorld or whatever QBank you're using, uh, you're going to sink a lot of time in reviewing these questions and uh, you're going to need at least twice as much time. So, so did no one tell you this before? I mean... I had the idea, but really when I was trying to schedule my days, I wanted to have like a pretty equal question to review time. And what that ended up being is if I got a question right, if I were lucky, I would review the objective of the question. And I was only reviewing the questions that I was getting wrong. Um, So it's a lot, you know, really, you know, whatever advice you get for studying and realizing that it's going to take more time to review, um, you know, that's part of it. But I think it's what I mean is it's just easier to do the questions uh, than to review them. You could do a bunch of questions and never look at their answers and feel pretty good about yourself. But uh, that's not going to help you when it comes time to take the test. Right.
0: Well, yeah. But would you say there's a difference um, as you approach the actual study? Date because I I would think that if you know you're you're still kind of shaky on a subject going in like six to eight weeks or or even now if you're kind of doing some pre dedicated prep time uh, you'd want to review basically all of the content to really short up in your brain but as you move towards you know that dedicated head down in the in the books as it were. Um, really reviewing the things that you don't know, you just switch to to looking at your incorrect answers and understanding why you got a question wrong.
1: Yeah, it's really all troubleshooting. You know, you, you kind of have your thought process and if you're able to say, you know, I settled on this answer because of this reason, and I got that wrong, so what what was the process that I needed to go through in order to get the the right uh, line of thinking uh, so it's basically just troubleshooting what you've done wrong um, that's more important for questions that you've either guessed on or gotten wrong or you were like having these 50-50 situations so I, I recommend if you can review those too; those are just as um, just as efficacious for you if you if you had a coin uh, coin flip answer and there were two choices and Maybe you got it right this time. Like, that's still a good question to be reviewing.
0: Yeah. And so with uh, QBank wise, basically the summary or take home point would be when you make your schedule, don't assume that doing a block of 40 questions in an hour reviewing either
1: your correct or incorrect answers will only take an hour. Yeah. And then let me let me pad that a little bit because I, we're gonna you know another point that i really wanted to make is like when you're doing your bank, you're hopefully going to do it a second time right yeah and if you do it a second time you're already going to know some of the answers like there's just no way around it hopefully that's what hopefully you do better because you've learned something using the bank, right um so it, it's kind of harder or it's easier cause you've gotten less wrong. So you have less to review. Um, but you can't really necessarily, you know, part of that is I like to use the, um, you world kind of gives you this, like where you stand with other people. Uh, I think the second pass is much harder to use that to really gauge your knowledge versus what other people are doing because you, you just can't trust the score as much. Um, Maybe I'm wrong, but I didn't feel well, as confident in it on that. Second I mean,
0: you pass. you went through like five Q banks uh, in their entirety over the course of the year uh, prior to your uh, step one exam. <laughs> so, what about using a, a different Q bank
1: instead of just doing a second pass on, say, UWorld? And that's actually where I found more benefit. Um, just because I, well, honestly, because I would perform worse on him. Um, so like I did an entirely different QBank while I was in my dedicated period as well. Um, I used the RX, USMLE RX, and that gave me, you know, first off, it had this sort of like predicted score, which I thought was interesting, um, based on your performance. Um, and then, you know, I was getting more questions wrong in that QBank because I simply hadn't seen uh, that kind of question before, or they would be testing some nitty gritty fact, uh, in first aid that, um, really might not be that useful in in hindsight. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Um, so talking about like the number of QBanks I did, which, um, patrick's exaggerating i didn't do five full q banks twice or whatever every weekend or something <laughs> um, to to get into like the number of questions you need to do it's it's a lot and part of what becomes a problem is you know a lot of these q banks want to have very realistic uh mbme step one you know related questions um and those are longer. They're they're the vignettes just have a lot more details in them. Uh, and I thought those are you know, those are good for really assessing where you are for the MBME, but you probably don't need to be doing long questions all the time. Um, you know, the longer questions, they they're more confusing, uh, they require more attention. And you could get the same amount of learning out of a shorter question that really just focused on the main points. Um, so, you know, I guess the thing I wish I had known before is that the longer questions aren't necessarily better for learning. Um, if you can boil down U-world questions into like a flashcard styled um you know facts and you were able to remember them and attribute them to things like i think that that's you know almost equivalent uh just for getting more facts in and then yeah. something like um you know one of the one of my favorite um resources during my second year was the webpath uh content because there's a lot of test questions on there they're very short um pathology questions and they really just like drive home a classic vignette and what's going on. Um, another little app that I had was called Scrub Wars. Um, they do, it, it's basically a game where you're, you're a little ship and you just shoot the correct answer. Uh, you had to be really quick about it, which um, you'll find if you're a slow test taker it might be harder for you. But when I was uh, doing scrub wars i i felt like it was very high yield um very short and sweet questions and and i didn't think it was um superfluous content and you could get through a hundred of them in a sitting um so it was really easy right so what's what practically how did you use that
0: app Cause I, I imagine you didn't start the morning with playing a Scrub Wars
1: game. No, I, I really saved it for uh, say I was in the car going somewhere I wasn't driving, right? Obviously don't drive and play video games. Um, but if I was like riding around somewhere or I was somewhere and wasn't able to get access to my study materials, you know, sometimes I would try to do the app for a QBank and um, I would read through that, but I found that was less efficient, uh, than when I was just sitting at my desk at home. So, yeah. Cause
0: probably as simple as it, it takes a longer, you know, attention span and, and, you know, the right environment to digest, you it, know, two, exactly. three
1: paragraphs worth of material. It, it, exactly. And then having like, uh, the interface as much as it tries to, um, be suitable for you reviewing the material, it's just a little harder to use on, on the phone um, versus when you can pull the whole thing up and just have that whole uh, explanation there. And then again, if, you're, if you want to go anywhere else and look up material or you want to flip into first aid and see what they have to say about it, uh, you're not going to be able to do that when you're on the road or in a doctor's office or wherever you might be. Uh, scrub wars is easy you know it was never more than like a sentence of explanation and you don't even get the explanations until you are uh, unless you got the answer basically you get the the explanation is you got it right or wrong and you should associate these two buzzwords with this content and that's really what it focused on was more like buzzwordy content Um, so training
0: like as I've said training your uh, kind of memory muscles or your uh your reflex um in in terms of being training your kind of uh answer reflex so that you're kind of like muscle memory able to associate very quickly say classic triads uh things like that you know without without needing to think about it that much
1: oh yeah um and that that was the idea of it, And I, I think it was useful for that, you know, whether or not you take that stuff long-term with you, I don't know. <laughs>
0: All right. So, last time you had told me that even if you love questions like I do, uh, it becomes very frustrating or, or um, nauseating to get to the end and having done thousands of them to keep doing them. What do you mean by that? Uh
1: yeah. So yeah, you you get sick of doing questions. It becomes both depressing, and you kind of get this like aversion to doing them. It's like you're shocking yourself every time you had to start another set of questions. Uh, so your your my tendency was to like, I guess I would begrudgingly be starting a new block, or I, I would honestly be willing to delay it and try to do something else and not study that material just because i didn't want to to do any more questions i and i i like to do a lot of, i liked doing questions in my period up till you know maybe like a week or two into my dedicated period where i was just doing so many of them i was just sick of reading about it sick of uh starting test uh and, and sick of having to review the answers right this kind of carried over to all the kind of test blocks that I needed to start um you know say I wanted to do a practice in BME I would go to just do that and I would have it and I'd be ready to go and I would like sit there and kind of had to like take a minute and breathe and be like okay it just had to start it and then I'll go through it and it'll be fine um but I would never want to like never want to get going you know right out the gate be like I'm so excited to start these questions so, for people who love studying with the questions, like, you know, the more and more you're doing, the sicker you'll get. And part of that is like, once you know, like, you're, it's like we're using a shock kind of mechanism, you know, the, the Pavlov uh, device yeah. where you shock yourself to train yourself for something, uh, to not do something. Honestly, it's kind of like painful to be doing the questions and you kind of get averse to it, right? So how do you overcome that? Ooh, I think it's easier. So one of the things I tried to do was I would go ahead and start a bunch of test blocks uh, and then immediately stop them on UWorld. So then say I'd already started four test blocks with 40 questions. Like I felt more compelled to that I had to go in and complete them now, because um, you can basically pin to all of them, right? Yeah. Uh, so that that was one of the techniques I used. Other than that, I would, um, you know, kind of have this little like period of sitting there thinking, I don't want to start it, and, and eventually you overcome it, right? Yeah. Uh, the goal of wanting to learn um eventually overcomes the, the punishment of having to study. So I think that's basically it for how I felt about questions. I hated doing more questions. Like now I'm very against the questions and I try to avoid them more, uh, which is unfortunate because they're so useful.
0: <laughs> well, hopefully you can get back into that because our, our platform is kind of focused on uh, multiple choice questions and breaking them down.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's so bad, and it's so much easier to do this where we talk about a few. But when we, if we were to sit down and do forty questions, Patrick, uh, it's oh, oh, so did mad. you
0: didn't realize that right after we record this, that's exactly what we're going to do?
1: Yeah, we're going to go through all the questions
0: in new world. <laughs> All right. So, what about practice assessments? What do you wish you had known about your um NBMEs or other practice eval- evaluation type uh tests?
1: So, I think the basically you're going to want to do assessments. I think in a previous episode I talked about, you know, how do you gauge yourself? Uh, and I was talking kind of nonsensically about doing you know, based on where you were with how you did on your test in med school and stuff, that's useless. I, I take that back. You shouldn't do that. You should use either where you fall on the like averages on UWorld, and then you should use your MBME assessments. That's really where you're going to get to see you know the the main topics how well you're doing, and those are the main topics that are getting tested. Um, so I was doing practice assessments every week couple of times i did two practice assessments because um i had you extra did one. just
0: just two of them during the dedicated or during your
1: whole usmle step one prep during my dedicated period i did one practice assessment on average every week okay yeah okay just to clarify and from that you can look at it and you can say how well you're doing in the main topics and then there are a couple of these like more fringe topics that you'll you'll see are harder to do well in and those are the ones that I would typically find that like my score was able to be improved upon and that would be something that I would try to focus on ultimately though those are the fringe topics so they switch those topics with every test right and yeah. you know you kind of find yourself even if you're studying up on those there's no real way to to do to be prepared for them and I kind of plateaued you know trying to study for those like little fringe topics so my scores on my MBMEs like about after week three you know they were they were all pretty consistent with, with each other and something that people really like to hear they're like which MBME predicts this this and this uh, MBME 18 for me was my was my score just for anyone out there who is interested in that kind of stuff.
0: Okay. Um, So what did you do with that information or what do you wish, I guess this is what do you wish you had known before? Like if you, so you definitely saw an improvement from week one to three in terms of score prediction,
1: correct? Oh yeah. And I think part of that is just getting into the mood of like only thinking about how you're answering these questions. And just being used to doing the the kind of questions that they're asking on the MBME, that you're probably not getting similar questions in your uh, medical school content, right?
0: Yeah, and I mean with these summative kind of exams, um, like really the the kind of psychometric principle is that if you took this exam today and you got X score you're likely going to get X score plus or minus, you know, uh, uh, some variance. So did that information influence when you took the
1: exam? So here's the thing is like, I had planned, I got my exam late and scheduled and, you know, I thought maybe I could move it up, but really there's just too much anxiety around doing that. Yeah, um, you know, typically if people take the exam at a different time, it's always later, uh, some people end up deferring uh, extra weeks of medical school. Some end up having to take off like half a year or something because of that, just because there's like anxiety, not thinking, you know, where you are with your studies or, you know, you don't feel like you've adequately prepared based on your learning in med school. And uh, I really think that's a tragedy, but I probably could have taken my exam earlier. And if I had known that I would have been happy with my score. If I had taken it earlier and had more break time, I think that would have been helpful for me, which kind of leads into my like next point. Um, my brain really kind of took a big break after I took that exam. Doing all the questions, studying for it, and just taking it, I was burnt out, and everybody yeah. is, right? Um, yeah. So you need a decent break to, to kind of recover. Um, I, I think, like... How long should the break be? How long was yours? (laughs) So my break was one day. One full day off? (laughs) One full day off. And then I started my orientation for third year. I don't recommend that. I would recommend you need, you know, at least a week would be nice, right? And obviously that's hard to do if schedules aren't permitting. But, you know, shooting for like a week and... um. Hopefully that can give you some adequate recovery uh, because you don't think you will need it. But my brain, because of that and then going right into working, um, it took about five weeks for me to really like get over that hump.
0: Yeah. So I guess the the takeaway here is, you know, a lot of these kind of either blog posts or forums you read or or even our our podcasts this is one person's experience with step 1 and it's good to get trusted advice from upperclassmen or you know people who have been there and and can provide that to either reassure you or help you avoid some of the the headaches, frustrations, whatever. Um, obviously, a lot of advice you're going to have to tailor to your own self. Taking you know the Delphic Oracle's advice to know thyself, uh, but nevertheless, I would say a hundred percent you have to plan a break before third year, and in order to be able to do that, I think planning some sort of pre-preparation, you know, like before you train for a marathon, you you might ensure that that you've got your diet uh, kind of in place, that you have a plan um, that you're generally, you know, ready to start doing long, long runs. Uh, and it's kind of I think, like like that. So what what could you do, say, end of February? if you're planning to start really your dedicated prep time in say april or may
1: oh man so this is like one of those things that like i know you're a busy medical student in your preclinical education and you've got no time and you're just always studying and burnt out and it's crazy and um <laughs> it unfortunately like When you become a clinical student and you 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 don't really have you're not able to tailor your own time, uh, you realize like how much of a crazy schedule you are able to handle, Uh, and that's kind of hard to do as a preclinical student when you don't have to be anywhere until eight a.m. Where now, like being somewhere at eight a.m. is like, oh, that's lovely. I'm so happy. Get to (laughs) Um, sleep in. Yeah, exactly. So you know your time. Is valuable and I understand it's precious, but uh, like part of having time management and learning that you probably have more time than you think you do, and you probably have time to do more before you get to your dedicated period.
0: So that so that could look like maybe um, just flirting lightly with the step one. Uh, QBank bank that you're going to use half a day a week, maybe reviewing uh, some of the things from earlier in second year um, while they're fresh ish, or even from first year, um, yeah. just taking fifty to hundred questions a week, dedicating half a uh,
1: half a day to that. Exactly, um, and and that that that's not a lot to ask for. I particularly focused on first year content. Um, because I had taken some extra time, like I, I hadn't seen that material in a while. So I focused on those kind of questions, uh, just so I knew a little more about, you know, this kind of esoteric material that really doesn't become, you know, you really are only learning it for step one. Um, I'm sorry to say, but you know, really to like focus in on some of the biochem really to, to review that kind of material. it's a good time to be doing that because when you get to your dedicated period, you're going to want to breeze through it and not, not get, you know, bogged down. So if you know those weaker areas that you can spend some time in, maybe your Q bank or maybe using an outside resource, another kind of like a review book that's more dedicated to a subject that, you know, you're poor at, um, You know, I I would highly recommend that. And then, you know, one of the things I, I knew this going in, but I'll reiterate it to y'all staying away from the really like low yield, I guess, topics or is I think a smart idea, you know, I I don't think you're going to need to review an in-depth, do an in-depth review of embryology in order to be shored up enough for the test. Um, Yeah some people think that that's what they need to do. And I don't think it's a good use of your time, honestly. So maybe even doing that before you get to your dedicated period and then not worrying about it, maybe that's the right idea too.
0: Yeah. And just reviewing based on the questions that'll be thrown at you in your queue banks. Exactly. All right. Um, what else we got? What else do you wish you had known?
1: <sighs> you know, I, I guess other than, you know, the real the real like last thing I guess is like it's really hard to be satisfied with what you're gonna do. Uh, we're all like very driven, competitive people. You know, we're already kind of like at the top tier of education at this point, and you really can't be satisfied with your performance on things, and that's just part of your nature. You know, I, I really was thinking like I would be happy with my studies happy with where i was and like i just always kind of felt feel like i can do better uh and that's a good thing because trust me like even if you knock out step one and then you get on the words um you'll find a lot of that doesn't like translate or you don't you'll you'll forget it uh or not know when it's applied and you know you'll realize that there's an entirely different kind of learning that's going to take place um So, you know, just kind of being prepared for the fact that you're going to continually want to do better. And that's not a you shouldn't get yourself down about that because this is uh, a tough test and like everybody has to take it. And like you you realize like everybody's smart and then there's the average score on this test and that's average. But really, that's not average for human intelligence. Right. Um, Right. (laughs) So don't get too bogged down or worried about it or think like, you know, I have to get this score because I'm smarter than other people. Like really you are already smart and this test will be important for like, you know, unfortunately figuring out what schools think you're competitive. But as far as like whether or not you're smart, it has no bearing. Um, And I would, I think that that's important. For you to take in before you go start studying and freaking out about your performance on this exam, it's easy to get hung up on the fact that like you're doing below or average or above average or whatever, and you know the, this test isn't what defines you.
0: Amen to that. That is the takeaway. To quote Dustin Williams from Online MedEd in a previous episode. The USMLE.
1: its just a money-making racketeering program. <laughs> it's all a
0: scam. <laughs> um, all right. Well, that's that's not entirely true, but it, it is a good opportunity for you to consolidate information you've learned first and second year, and to give you a good foundation for you know reading research articles and and understanding pathophysiology, which you'll be pimped on. Probably not as much as you're terrified. Uh, during a third year but aside from aside from that like get into the mindset uh, get into the mindset you need to do well know yourself and take advice from trusted people probably not those who are currently in your same situation
1: i think those are the the main points what do you what do you think you call it there i say we call it there all right, guys. Best of luck studying. Don't freak out. Don't stress. Listen to the Study Smarter series because, you know, that can give you some on-the-go learning. Go buy our QBank because uh, that's also a good way to get some more digestible content while you're running around and doing whatever else you need to do in your life.
0: Yep. Amen to that. All right. We'll see you next time today's music is thanks to matt tiber from the bunny the bear this track is secondhand smoke off the bunny the bears 2017 album the way we rust click the link in the show notes or listen wherever you stream music